So I asked him to teach me how to shoot. Uh, and he got super excited and bought me a rifle. And You're listening to the Got Game University podcast. This podcast puts you in the classroom and lets you learn from some of the best hunters and callers in the woods. Hi, this is Taylor and Ryan with Got Game Tech. Got Game Tech is a software development company that builds mobile apps that teach hunters how to call and hunt different animals. Welcome everybody out to the Got Game University podcast. This is Taylor Tibbetts and excited about uh, our show tonight. Have a special guest, Marsha Brownlee with Artemis Sportswomen. Marsha, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. Thanks for making time. I uh, know from lining things up that you're uh, early to bed, early to rise type person. <laughs> so we're pushing the envelope a little bit here. You are, but I think the last two weeks, uh, spending most of my time at home, I'm a little off my normal schedule anyway. So this is all good. <laughs> oh, good. You're well rested. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, uh, definitely excited about the opportunity to have a chat with you and, and share the podcast with our listeners. Uh, would love for you to introduce yourself, just talk a little bit about your background, um, your outdoor hunting, fishing experience, what you do for a living, and then we can kind of talk a little bit more about, about Artemis after that. Sounds great. Um, yeah, so so uh, my name is Marsha. I am the program manager for Artemis Sportswomen. I'm currently based out of Missoula, Montana, uh, but I actually grew up in Michigan, southern Michigan, just outside of Ann Arbor. Um which at that point was still a fairly rural area. <laughs> so right. um, I spent a lot of summers just, you know, off at the end of the road with my friends um, exploring uh, the woods that were behind our house and kind of grew up camping and spending a lot of time outside with my family. Um, then when I, uh, I guess eventually I found my way out to um, Colorado and then up to Montana. And I've always looked to, nature uh, as a place to just be still um, right. and and you know sit with myself and and heal uh, and and appreciate what the natural world has to offer. Um, my background is in education and I spent 15 years as an early childhood educator um, in a nature-based school um, focusing on connecting kids with the natural world. Um, Interesting. So is that like yeah. a like a charter school or was it a public school that had that curriculum brought in or it was a nonprofit school uh, okay. a couple years in Colorado and then 10 years here in Missoula um, I was a teacher and then I was the executive director of a school so yeah it was it was a nonprofit um, early childhood education that worked with kids who were two years old through fifth grade and uh, and I love that yeah there's nothing more magical than watching a kid discover something cool in nature. Absolutely. Uh, That's great. Yeah. And so I came to hunting and fishing as an adult. You know, I did a little bit of um, spinner fishing as a kid in Michigan, caught some catfish. Mm -hmm. uh, my first trout I caught on a marshmallow um, <laughs> in a little fish farm that was designed to make sure kids caught fish. Right, um, right. So it yeah, yeah. performed its role there. It did. It did. And then uh, I'm, when I moved to Montana, started fly fishing, um, and then five years ago, uh, picked up hunting. And so, so far, my experience with hunting is uh, big game rifle hunting. I have hunted uh, deer and antelope and bear and um, tried to hunt elk, but haven't oh, cool. done that just yet. So has and, this all been yeah. in Montana? Uh, Montana and Idaho. 
Yes. Cool. Just over the counter tags, or you've been able to draw tags, or. Uh, so drew tags for antelope. Um, yeah, all antelope tags in Montana um, are draw tags. Uh, okay. But yeah, but I went out, you know, uh, with different regions, you have different probabilities of drawing a tag. And I've always drawn for Eastern Montana because it's the highest probability. So okay. I love, yeah. It's yeah. better to have a tag in your hand and be able to have a chance mm -hmm. to go hunt. Mm -hmm. And I love exploring the sagebrush out in Eastern Montana. It's just a whole different um, ecosystem than I'm used to. And I love it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's super cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So a, a wide variety of experience. Was there anything in particular about hunting that, that drew you to it as somebody who maybe hadn't done that very much earlier on in their life? Yeah. Oh, um, so it's kind of an emotional story for me as to how I got involved in hunting. Because uh, my dad was a, was a hunter. Um, okay. You know, in Michigan, it was one of those things where once a year he would go to deer camp for a week with my uncle or with my great uncle and my grandpa. Um, and then I was always fascinated when he brought back an animal and really enjoyed right. watching that part, but I never went with him. I never asked to go with him. It never really crossed my mind to go with him. Um, sure. but when I moved out to, I moved out to Montana in 2009 and then he and my mom moved out to Montana in 2012. Um, and right now he lives just outside of Missoula and he's the range master at a rifle range in Hamilton. Oh, okay. awesome. and he, yeah. He loves reloading and you know, speak technical jargon five miles over my head, but it's, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, so, uh, my mom, when they moved out here, uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so she was going through a pretty quick decline oh, and, yeah, my dad and I were really, you know, uh, we were supporting each other and supporting her, and that's not always fun. Well, it's never tough. fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he and I have always been, as I think most people are, we're just better when we're doing something together than we are when we're just kind of sitting across the table from each other um, right. trying to fill the silence. So I asked him to teach me how to shoot, uh, and he got super excited and bought me a rifle and then I, I always joke, you know, if you give a naturalist a rifle, she's going to want to take it for a walk in the woods. So I started right. taking it for a walk. And it was just for me, you know, my experience becoming a hunter paralleled and really surprising uh, my mom's decline and, and then death. She died in May of 2018. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so I think... I don't know. I just learned a lot from that process, not only just being in nature and the natural healing that takes place when you are in nature, but also reevaluating the life cycle and my relationship with death. And, right. um, you know, and then there's the excitement that you feel when you're getting ready to go out on a hunt or out to the river. Um, and that excitement was, was kind of a joy that I really needed at the time. Right. Um, and then just spending that time in the woods with people that I cared about. Uh, yeah, it was it was really um, it it changed the way I thought about a lot of things in ways that I never anticipated, never thought possible. And it was way more powerful than I thought it would be. So I was hooked immediately. Yeah, that's a that's an incredible kind of a multidimensional connection. Um, you know, it's, it's much more than the, 
just this, you know, just growing up and this is what we did, but, um, we're, you know, you're able to see the value in it from a lot of different angles at one time. Mm -hmm. And sounds like super, super bittersweet memories, but, um, special connection nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what was the first, what was the first hunt that you went on? Uh, the, the first hunt I actually am, uh, I was incredibly lucky that the first, okay, actually, no, let me take it back as, um, the first hunt where I carried a rifle yeah, was, yep. uh, uh, an elk hunt where I actually ended up harvesting a whitetail. Okay. Um, yeah, I was, I was accompanying a friend and we were out there looking for elk and didn't find any, but we did find this wonderful whitetail. Um, but the first hunt I went on was a duck hunt. Um, and then I was just accompanying a friend in the field and then same, I went on a snow goose hunt, uh, just accompanying a friend in the field. Yeah. Yeah. So the first, so your first experience when you filled a tag was the elk hunt that turned into a deer hunt? Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was just outside of Lincoln, Montana on this horrible, cold and windy, windy day. Um, when we were tromping along the mountains and hadn't seen anything, well, we saw Doe um, and her yearling. Um, okay. And then came, yeah, and then came across this one later in the day. It was, yeah, it was, it was a uh, unexpected, but yeah, no, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, well, we can um, maybe we'll drill down into a, a few more hunting stories as we uh, talk a little bit further on in the podcast. But sure, appreciate you sharing a little bit about your background and letting our listeners connect with you. And I know yeah. for, for everyone who hunts, there's a, it's a hard, sometimes a hard to explain, uh, you know, reasoning process about, about why we love it. And, and it's kind of a complex answer, but I think for most of us, there's a strong connection with family and a strong connection with nature and the joy that we feel and, and the excitement of the harvest. And, uh, it's, it's always really meaningful to me, um, when I'm able to, you know, to bring, you know, bring an elk or a deer back to the family and, and share that with my kiddos, like your father shared it with you and, and to, to help them begin to understand what it means to be a conservationist. And, um, it's, it's just a neat, neat thing that we, that we have and can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you got going, um, in, got started hunting and, and, uh, somewhere along the way, Artemis was was born. Can you give us the backstory? Sure. Yeah. So Artemis is an initiative of the National Wildlife Federation, and it's their uh, program to engage women hunters and anglers in conservation advocacy and to build community and to really just elevate the voice of sportswomen in the conservation community. Um, so it started in, in 2017, and it was um, pulled together by a group of women who, who are labeled co-founders. They, they did the strategic planning and the mission and the value um, planning for the organization. And it launched in the West. And so in its first year, it focused on building community uh, and working on public land conservation in Montana and Idaho and Wyoming and Colorado and New Mexico. And then yeah. I was hired on in June of uh, 2018 uh, as the program manager. And uh, we... When I came on, we expanded to include Washington and Oregon. And then just last month, we expanded our ambassador program nationally, which is really wow. exciting. Yeah. Oh, that had to be a ton of work to get that ready to rock. It it was, wow. yes. And, uh, you know, I think 
since the moment Artemis came on the scene, there has been national desire to engage. Um, mm -hmm. the, you know, hunting is, is, a, is a part of the lifestyle here in the West um, for a lot of people. But, you know, you've got states like Georgia and Tennessee and Michigan and Maine and even upstate New York. And, and it's just as is embedded in their lifestyle. And so right. they were, they were kind of chomping at the bit to to be a part of it. And so I was just really excited to finally be able to, to reach out to them. Oh, absolutely. I love the name of the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Is there, is that kind of woven into the kind of the founding story as well as the kind of mythology behind Artemis? Yeah, yes, definitely. So Artemis is the Greek goddess of the hunted nature. Uh, and so there was definitely uh, a desire to incorporate not only her prowess as a huntress, but also, um, you know, she, her role as protector for all animals, um, yeah. and really identifying uh, with both sides of that persona. Uh, and then, you know, we didn't want another acronym. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I think some of the contenders were like women of the outdoors and that acronym would have been woo. We decided <laughs> that probably wasn't the best way to go. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so yeah. Artemis it was. Yeah, I like it. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to understand the connection that we have and the responsibility we have as, as hunters. And also for folks that uh, don't understand hunting to realize that it's because of the, you know, the financial support of, of hunters uh, that we have the wildlife populations that we do mm -hmm. and to be able to bridge those gaps and have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I, Yeah, and I think, I mean, anytime... Uh, two points. One is that as a hunter, you I, I became just more deeply aware of the value of the ecosystem and the importance mm -hmm. of every animal to the health of that ecosystem. Uh, but then also, if you take a look at successful conservation programs of species that um, were were failing and are now succeeding, like the antelope, uh, mm -hmm. you can see when we invest in them, when we invest money in their uh, health and livelihood, then they they thrive. Right. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's great. So you talked about the national launch. Uh, so what does that look like for each state? Do you have some state specific leadership driven by volunteers or how, how does that, how's that set up? Yeah. So right now, um, it's our, it's a kind of a three tiered process and, uh, the, the organizers are our, our ambassadors. Um, they are the people who really work to create community in their area, whether it's in their city or in their county. Um, they're the one who they're planning events and bringing women together and increasing the sporting capacity and educating on conservation. They're really kind of the lifeblood of the work that we're doing. And so we just opened up those applications last week and I actually, I had the pleasure of calling everybody this week to connect with them for the first time over oh, the cool. phone. Yeah. And just kind of say, you know, what, do you have any questions? What are your hopes and dreams? Um, and so that, you, you know, it was a open application process. So, you know, we, we got women from the West still here, expand, ever expanding that network. Um, we got women from, you know, Texas and New York and Pennsylvania and Michigan, um, uh, all over. So I'm really, there's no, there's no real strategic plan in our, in the growth of our ambassador program, other than going where women are passionate and want to volunteer. Um, 
we yeah. are having a more intentional approach to kind of the second tier of organizing in certain states. And we're doing a pilot program this year in Montana and in Georgia. And that pilot program is an Artemis Alliance. So that really is pulling together all of the communities that are dispersed across the state into a broader coalition that's more actively engaged in state-specific issues. Because Artemis is a part of the National Wildlife Federation. We work mostly on the federal level, uh, but then we collaborate with um, the state affiliates because the National Wildlife Federation uh, has uh, state affiliates that engage on more local level. Like in here in Montana, it's the Montana Wildlife Federation. There's the Idaho Wildlife Federation, Georgia Wildlife Federation. And so those state alliances will work more closely with the state affiliates to engage deeply on local issues. Okay. So we're doing that. I like yeah. that a lot. Me too. And and then the ambassadors, they're are are they gonna be connected to those state specific events and alliances as well, or are they gonna be kind of separate and doing their own own thing? Nope, they will be uh, connected. They'll be deeply connected. Um, and really uh, it'll it'll pull in the communities that the ambassadors have built uh, to be a part of the overall alliance. Okay. Now is the idea to engage these these volunteers, you know, ambassadors and other members of the foundations in conservation activities or mainly to generate funds so that those can be donated to other associations that are engaging in projects or what's the what's kind of the action arm of the organization? Yeah, the action arm is really to engage them in conservation activities. So it's both increasing their uh, engagement as advocates um, and as effective advocates. So we do a lot of advocacy training uh, and connecting them to the issues and and background education and legislature lobbying. So we support them quite a bit uh, in, in doing that. And then conservation work parties, whether it's a fence removal or we did a beaver study where we, you know, we tromped up some small streams looking for beaver sign as part of a citizen science program. Uh, so, so it's, it's less fun driven and mm-hmm. more just, um, uh, energy driven. You know, we yeah. want to connect powerful, uh, committed advocates to organizations who are doing great work. Yeah, that's awesome. And so there's a big component that's designed to help kind of get the ear of legislators then and decision makers state and nationally to make decisions that are at least hopefully in line with the goals of sportsmen, sportswomen to rather than, I guess, just kind of charging full speed ahead without having that information. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And then what's the advocacy training that they're getting? Is it like hands-on clinics, classes, or are those events kind of dictated by the ambassadors and what they're comfortable with? Or how are you training your folks to be better at speaking with uh, influential people or becoming influential people themselves? Mm -hmm. So uh, those are, uh, depending on the situation, uh, we identify uh, women who are interested in areas where there is a lot of uh, drive and desire Mm -hmm. for those types of trainings. Uh, And then typically either I or one of our um, co-founders will go in and lead the training. So we haven't gotten to the point where the ambassadors are implementing those trainings yet. We definitely hope to. Uh, But right now um, we go where the need is and it's an in-person training that we are also hoping to create uh, into a webinar 
Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for more broad access, because a lot of times it's difficult to align your schedule with when we offer it. So we want to make sure it's, it's accessible to everybody. Right. Cool. So for, for any of our, our listeners who are interested in joining Artemis, what are the routes that they could look down to get started? Yeah. So, uh, you can listen to our podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> always. It's the Artemis podcast. Awesome. Um, so easy to, well, easy to find, easy to find. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we link that in the show notes too, so they can find that. Excellent. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. Uh, we're super active on social media. So you can, again, just, uh, Google Artemis Sportswomen Instagram or Artemis Sportswomen Facebook. Um, we're most active on Instagram. Uh, and then right. you can also go to our website, which is artemis.nwf.org. Uh, and there's a button that says join us and, and you can click that and sign up and, and joining us is free. Okay. And then you, they'll get information about upcoming events and further opportunities that way. Mm-hmm. So is there state specific leadership for Artemis in each of these states? Or is that still kind of in the building process? It's still in the building process. Um, most of the leadership uh, right now and where we've been most active in the West is funneled through our affiliates and, and the deep connections that have provided there. Uh, but we're still building uh, we're still building that and hope that the alliance will sort of take over that need. Awesome. Yeah. Now I heard I met a couple of uh, member Artemis members of a few weeks ago, the Camel on the Capitol reception in Boise and and we were going to connect then um, and and you got sick I'm I'm glad you recovered (laughs) sorry that was so rough that's all right much better Uh, now yeah that's good Uh, but they mentioned that there was some kind of a a turkey hunting clinic or turkey Mm -hmm. hunt so talk to me a little bit about that what what did that event look like or has it happened yet has not happened yet hopefully will still happen Um, oh right I guess with everything going on (laughs) gathering in groups is tougher yeah so what I guess if it in a perfect world if it did happen what was the game plan there? Yeah, so this is the second annual turkey hunt so I can kind of tell you what went down last year and what we were hoping would go down again this year. It's okay. it's really just a uh you know so last year we put a call out it's like you know we're going to be turkey hunting in this area for 3 days if you would like to come let us know. It was really just an open call uh, for women to be able to come and join us on this turkey hunt and we got 15 women who came out and all of them had been experienced hunters. All of them had harvested a big game animal before so they'd had experience. Okay. In the- yeah, yeah, there was a foundation there. Mhm. But none of them had ever hunted with a group of women. Um, you know, there were women, there was one woman there who was an outfitter. And so, you know, she'd been hunting for most of her life and she'd never been in the woods with another woman. So, yeah. So it, that was the goal is really to just, you know, just create an environment of women hunters so we can, you know, (laughs) be a part of this community and learn from each other. And yeah, so that's, that's all it was. It was, um, you know, Becca Aceto, who works for the Idaho Wildlife Federation and is the Idaho Artemis ambassador uh, and the podcast co-host, Becca, uh-huh. Becca's a rock star. Um, yeah. She pulled it together. And so, uh, you know, we reserved a big group campsite where everybody could stay. Uh, and I made antelope breakfast burritos for everybody one morning. Awesome. And uh, then Becca gave us kind of a lowdown of the area and, and 
where the good turkey hunting spots were around there. And then everybody was just, you know, free to, free to go off on their own. Fanned out to go hunting, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I believe that a few turkeys were killed, right? Yep. Uh, two or three. Oh, that's and it was, yeah, it was great. I was able, I was with, uh, I was with one of the groups that harvested a turkey. So that was the first time I'd seen a turkey harvested and it was just really fun to be a part of. Um, and that's another thing I love about hunting is watching somebody else's harvest is almost right. just as fun. It's pretty um, incredible, isn't it? That you can mm-hmm. get that same amount of excitement and joy out of somebody else's, somebody yep. else's kill or harvest. Yeah. And then we brought it back to camp and one of the more experienced turkey hunters walked us through processing it. And it was just, it was a really great experience. Oh, that's fantastic. So the idea was to do that again this year. Were, were you going to expand numbers or keep the numbers the same? We currently have 30 registered. Holy moly. Could you now, is this an Idaho event? Yes. That's what I thought. I wonder it's going to be. <laughs> When was it going to happen? Was it going to happen the first of weekend April? of May? Oh, first weekend of May. Well, there may be yeah. a chance that it could happen. There's a chance. And or maybe you split the group up into three groups or something, or or something. We'll see. Yeah. It's you yeah. know part of it is uh, Artemis is an initiative of the National Wildlife Federation, so we file the the guidelines that they set. And right now they're yeah. close through April, so we're right. just sneaking past that window, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to to continue with it. Yeah, that is awesome. So if we, I know we've got a lot of folks in Idaho that are subscribers to the podcast. So they're a female hunter and want to participate in that. Is that still open or is that closed? We're going to close it at 30 because, uh, um, you know, I think anytime you get that number of hunters in a particular area, you're just going to have to drive that much further out to disperse oh, yeah. kind of the pressure you put on the animals in the, the land nearby. So I think we're going to cap it at 30, but what we're hoping is to be able to offer more of these. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Do you do any instruction as part of the, um, part of, I know you talked about having one, one of the one of the participants uh, show everyone how to process the turkey. Are you going to kind of formalize the instruction going forward, or is it still going to be just kind of a organic hunting camp? You know, I think we're going to try and offer a uh, uh, a little bit of a mix. Uh-huh. Right now, it really is just more of an organic hunting camp. There's there's no plan to provide any formal mentoring or or um, instruction in the field. This is really just an opportunity for women who already hunted uh, to connect with each other. Uh, But once we have the capacity, it would be great to, to offer some more introductory courses. You know, I think with Artemis, you know, in the whole R3 movement with recruitment, retouchman and reactivation, um, I think the role that we are filling most effectively now is that of retention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really helping uh, elevate both that presence in the sporting community and the connections sportswomen have to each other and just that sense of camaraderie. That's really, I think, a, a role that we're, we're playing pretty well. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, as we've talked about, we'd love to, especially as you're working on getting some more educational or instructional aspects to to anything you're doing, we'd love to help support that. That's definitely a mission that aligns well with what we're trying to do as a company. Mm -hmm. And I feel like calls and, and, you know, yeah, any kind of 
calls, whether it's turkey or deer or elk, that to me is like a 201 hunting level yeah. horse. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of our, our um, members are kind of primed for that right now. Right. Well, and it, and it is the aspect of hunting that I just absolutely love that is just the hook, line, and sinker. You know, when you learn how to call and you have some confidence in your calling and you can go out and, and get the animal to interact with you um, and ultimately come in, whether it's a turkey or an elk or you get some some ducks to circle back around or, you you know, yeah you know, adequately mimic a, a breeding sequence for, you know, for white-tailed deer. It's just a absolute rush to be able to do that. And so I think it would, it would definitely help with retention for sure. And also mm-hmm. recruitment, uh, you know, to get yeah. folks just excited about it. I have to say, so, uh, as I mentioned, like most of my elk hunting is pretty limited. And when I did elk hunt, it was spot and stock. It wasn't calling in. So turkey hunting last year was my first experience actually trying to call in an animal. And it was so much fun. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Just that, that, that communication and that interaction is just so much more vibrant than, uh, than uh, a spot and stock is in a way there's just a a dynamic quality to it that uh, was fabulous. you're totally rolling the dice, right? As a as a hunter, our um, you know our best our best uh, asset is that the animal doesn't know we're there, mm-hmm. and uh, you give up your location when you call, and so you got to make sure you can continue on with the charade. You know, it's got to mm-hmm. be adequate enough and the appropriate call, and got to be able to understand the context of the situation, and uh, definitely a, a huge rush. Very mm-hmm. fun. That's actually how we how we got started with our company was, was elk hunting in 2016. We had a, my brother-in-law and I were hunting with his father-in-law and he was just, he was a pretty good elk caller um, and a successful elk hunter. And, and my brother-in-law and I had rifle hunted before, but only spot and stock and never got into calling. And after that week of hunting with him, it was, we were just absolutely hooked. That's all we could think about was learning how to call. And, um, you know, over time we're able to, to develop our first app, the elk calling app and, you know, Mm -hmm. since got into some other animals, but, definitely uh something that resonates with us in our story for sure yeah it's pretty fun yeah super cool well thanks for breaking down artemis and letting us know uh what you're doing there um would love to hear a little bit about your plans for 2020 what your hunting season's going to look like and um if you're waiting on waiting on states to see if you've drawn tags or uh what are what's the game plan this year yeah so the game plan this year um is actually to stick mostly in Montana. Uh, I do feel mm-hmm. kind of as a new hunter, I'm still starting to, I'm still getting to know the areas around me yeah. um, and looking to expand more in species than um, location. So I, I was really hoping to do that turkey hunt in Idaho. I am really hoping to do that turkey yeah. hunt in Idaho yeah. uh, and also a turkey hunt here in Montana, um, a spring bear hunt uh, here in Montana for the first time. I've hunt, I've spent the last four three springs bear hunting in Idaho and it's been absolutely amazing. That's um, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to try, uh, here in the home front, uh, this year for the first time. Yep. And then sticking right now to over the counter deer and elk tags. And then I will apply for another antelope tag out East. Uh, and then actually hopefully some, um, so I'm quail hunting in southern New Mexico is kind of the only oh, right on. out-of-state yeah. plants I have right now. No, yeah, that's cool. Are you able to fold 
fold the hunting into your work responsibilities? Or are you still having to take paid time off? Or what does that look like for you? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, okay. So, you know, there I do have opportunities uh, to be able to call spending time in the woods work, which is yeah, lovely. And so, yeah. yeah, like the turkey hunt would be work, the quail hunt would be work. And then always, you know, I um, I can, I can take the opportunity to be in the woods to pull together content, whether it's exactly. uh, video or pictures or writing. I, I am always able to do that. Uh, but I definitely like to make sure I take a fair amount of time, um, off the clock. So right. I, I can just focus on, uh, on being in the woods and, Oh, I totally hear yeah. you on that. Yep. Uh, something about not having to worry about anything else, but mm -hmm your main goal of being out there. Mm -hmm. So question about bear hunting this spring. Are you getting out doing spot and stock bear hunting? I guess I don't think you can bait in Montana, right? You can't bait in Montana. Nope. Yep. So I'll be spot and stock uh, for the first time. Oh, cool. So you got to bait in Idaho and, and mm -hmm. kind of learn some bear behavior here and I'm going to get out and spot and stock them, huh? Mm -hmm. See how it goes. Awesome. Are you going out with uh, some other, other folks or hunting solo? Uh, a little bit of both. I really do enjoy hunting solo, but I think with a, with a bear, that's a lot to haul out. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, I'll be doing a little bit of both. Just a okay. nice day. Now, are you, you're in the Missoula area, right? Yes. So not really grizzly country, right? Uh, does um, it kind of depend? It's, it's not really grizzly country just yet, but grizzly country is our Expanding. drive yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's just, you know, those are the ones we know about, right? <laughs> right. Well, I grew up in salmon. I think we talked about that. Um, yeah. So I was just down the road over on the Idaho side and same type of thing. We're not that far from Yellowstone and, uh, you know, just across the Montana border, um, no confirmed grizzly bear sightings in the salmon area for a long time, at least that I'm aware of, uh, but always some, some local legend about, yeah. about grizzly bear and, um, the bear I shot last year was a, he was a fairly small black bear, but he had, he had just a really, really cool blonde color face coat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, a lot of folks that haven't, don't understand the differences in bear identification would confuse that bear yeah. with a grizzly. And so it makes, it, you could see how someone might think they've seen a grizzly and have it just be a, mm -hmm. you know, a blonde, a blondie. Mm -hmm. Then my first bear was this gorgeous cinnamon. Oh, cool. Oh, stunning. Uh, it, but yeah, the grizzlies out here, uh, you know, there are tons of them on the Rocky Mountain front, which is mm -hmm. hour and a half towards Lincoln or Ovando area. So anytime I go fishing or hunting down there, which I do a lot because it's stunning right along the Blackfoot, um, yep. just make sure that I'm extra cautious and aware. And actually, that's an area where I try not to hunt alone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice to have somebody with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And then you're working some, are you going to work some, some elk calling into your elk hunting this year? I think I'm going to focus mostly on turkeys right now. I've, okay. I'm still, uh, I want to, I want to, yeah, I'm a little intimidated by the elk calling, um, <laughs> but I have this nice app to help me out with it. So, right? I'll yeah. but yeah. So um, I was, a, I was an elk caller first before a turkey caller yeah. and, um, there's, you know, I don't want to compare the two because they're just so different, but uh, just strictly from a calling perspective, I feel like 
turkey calling is more complicated from a, what you have to be able to do with your mouth to run a mouth call. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may well be just strictly attributable to the fact that I can't roll my R's. So mm. like a purr, you know, at the mouth call is, is something that I'm still struggling with. But um, I would say if you're feeling like you're starting to get things figured out, running a mouth call for a turkey calling, mm-hmm. that uh, will get you, get you, you know, a pretty straightforward, uh, simple to use latex mouth call for elk and you'll pick it up pretty fast. All right. Well, I got plenty of time to practice right now, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Well, definitely keep us posted uh, on your hunting this year and look forward to hearing hearing how it goes. We'll cross our fingers that you can get your group out for that Idaho turkey hunting event. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it'd be good. I'll send you some pictures of them using the app. Oh, we'd love that. <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. Well, any any parting words about, uh, about Artemis that you want our listeners to hear or may, maybe ways that folks can get in contact with you individually if they have follow-up questions? Yeah, uh, the best way to reach me is at artemis at nwf.org or through the direct messaging of our uh, social. I'm always available there. And I think, you know, one thing I would encourage people to do is that I really, you know, we're here to support you. So if there's something that you're interested in learning or if there's a question you have or something that you want to see us do, just let me know. Uh, Always seeking that behavior, that that input um, and wanting to know how we can help. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll uh, make sure we let everyone know about the about the organization and its growth, and, and uh, we'll look forward to continuing to partner with you on things going forward. Great. I look forward to that. Awesome. Well, we'll let you go. Thanks so much for making time to speak with us tonight, Marcia. Yeah. Um, we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Taylor. You bet. Well, sure hope you all have enjoyed this podcast episode we had. Uh, the conversation with Marsha was a really interesting one for me and particularly fun to hear how she went from being more of a naturalist to a hunter and a conservationist and and the, the joy and, and uh, cool connections that she's been able to form around her hunting experiences with family. So I super appreciate Marsha for participating with us on this podcast and, and just wanted to, to shout out to... Uh, our good buddies over at Ride On Optics for helping us bring this podcast to you again this week. Uh, Ride On's a great company with a great product. And if you're looking for optics for your rifle, whether that's your hunting rifle or a tactical rifle, or you're looking for a good pair of binoculars, definitely recommend looking up Ride On Optics. And if you have any questions about their products, uh, reach out, give me a shout. So anyways, thanks again for listening to our podcast episode this evening. Sure hope you've enjoyed it. We'll look forward to catching up with you again next week.